Thank you very much, Claire, and welcome everyone to the Bloomsbury Institute and to Breakfast Salon. And the first thing I want to say is a huge apology that there is no breakfast. <laughs> it, it seems slightly wrong. I mean, I suppose you, you don't hold brunch events, but we shall imagine that this is a very decadent brunch event that we're having our, our breakfast at 6.30 in the evening. I think that's a suitable tribute. Uh, so... What we're here to do tonight is to celebrate the publication of these two amazing Bloomsbury books, but also to celebrate the role of breakfast um, in all of our lives, because both of the books are about discovering the fact that, as my mother used to say, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, but both of you suggest in your work that breakfast is not just the most important meal of the day, it's possibly the most important meal of our lives. Um, so I just wanted to start by asking all of you, um, has anyone ever had a really great breakfast? Yes. yes. Has anyone ever had a really awful breakfast? Yes. So yes, I think breakfast is very emotive in all of our lives, and that's what we're going to explore tonight. So I'm going to talk to Carrie and Seb for about 40 minutes, and then we'll have about 20 minutes uh, questions from the floor. Um, if anyone from the back wants to come up and sit, we've got three seats at the front if you want to come and worship at the feet of the breakfast <laughs> gurus. Um, please, yeah, please do come forward. Um, so, yeah, Seb, I wanted to start off by asking you about your co-author, uh, because his book is co-authored by Malcolm Eggs, as Claire mentioned, and are there are others, other uh, uh, pseudonyms in the book. So how did that come about? It's a strange thing, really. Uh, I think I must be the only person ever to have co-written a book with my own pseudonym. Um, yes, I think really you are. Odd thing to have done, I guess. Um, but, I mean, Malcolm X is me. Um, and when we first started the website, the London Review of Breakfasts, it almost, the idea came fully formed with this idea that we'd all write with these kind of punning pen names. Uh, and Malcolm X was always the one I was going to have. I just knew it like an epiphany uh, the moment it happened. Um, and, and over the years, everyone who's written for the site has gained their own pen name. It's like mm -hmm. something that a rite of passage, you get your, you get your mm -hmm. sword, you get your pen name. Um, and so there's been loads. There's been Blake Pudding, obviously, Tina Beans. I think the best, <laughs> the best <laughs> pen name ever invented by anyone was uh, Grease Witherspoon. Kind of works on every level that a pun <laughs> ever could or should. Um, but there's been Shreddy Kruger, Sigmund Freud. I mean, there's a huge list of them <laughs> um, at the back of the book. Um, yeah. Yeah. So London Review of Breakfast is the website, and that is still ongoing now, is that right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah we don't, I mean, there was a golden era when I used to update it maybe once, um, well, three times a week probably, uh, but that was eight years ago, and it's ancient history in blog terms when we started it. There's no Twitter, no Facebook at those days. Um, so when we decided we wanted to explore breakfast, it was, the only thing you could do was start a blog, really. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it was very simple. It was just plain text on a page talking about a breakfast experience of some kind or another. Uh, yeah. And it, it's the same to this day. Um, we put the first image up, I think, three weeks ago. And I was kind of <coughs> expecting a sort of Bob Dylan-style electric furore, but <laughs> it just didn't happen. I don't know, I don't know why. Um, uh, yeah, and, uh, and I guess I update it maybe every two weeks now or something. But there are still new writers. There's still really good new writers coming out uh, yeah. with different opinions about things like pancakes and uh, Bacon. Yeah, very good. And what was the impetus behind starting the London Review of Breakfast? And how did it fit into the new trend for blogging that was very, very early at that time? It, 
the impetus was, I'd love to say it was love for the meal of breakfast. It was partly that, obviously, and I've always loved going out for breakfast, but it was also driven by uh, disappointment mm -hmm. um, and, and breakfast sort of nightmares and, and going out to trendy gastro pubs and being served a very substandard, very half-hearted plate of food. Uh, bacon would be missing, the waiter wouldn't care. Uh, just seeing that people weren't, um, you know, doing it, doing it right. And also realising that no one in the media was writing about breakfast. There's lots and lots of it about food, but nothing actually that applied to the meal of breakfast. So uh, um, it just seemed like a massive gap in the blogging world um, that I could fill. Mm. Uh, and I got lucky, you know, a lot of people I knew were very good writers as well, and they got really into it and started sending me their stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Dr. Carrie O'Connor, so love of breakfast as a food anthropologist, is that something that's also driven yeah. your work? Well, you know, I think of, of Seb and, and my books being like salt and pepper. They go together, and they both started with a bad breakfast. Like, his started with, you know, terrible in, in Dulwich, was it? Yeah. So he said, yeah. oh, God, there's got to be something else. So he decides to, you know, make that happen. And I had the same experience, but I'm not from here. I'm from Hawaii, which is about as far away as you can get. And everywhere in the world, the one thing people know about this country is the English breakfast. And the tourist board, you know, they do these surveys and they say, what is it you really want to eat when you get to England? And they always say the English breakfast. Now, this is what I wanted, right? So I get here and I love to eat, so I was really looking forward to it. And I get here, and I have English breakfast. I go to a cafe, and this is what I see. <laughs> I think this is quite nice. <laughs> no. I'm English. Yeah, see, but my reaction is, is this all there is? Because don't forget, I mean, if, if you read things like, say, Brideshead Revisited, you have all these big set scenes, you know, or, or you know, Downton Abbey now. Um, the breakfast room, and you have all these silver dishes with lids on. And I thought I was going to have what was under those lids. And this was not what was under those lids. But what was? And I couldn't find it. And what an anthropologist does is they go and find out what else there is. So, see, from this bad breakfast, you, you have us going different ways. So there's me wanting to know what those millions of lost things were. And there's Seb saying, you know, this could be an art form. <laughs> this if it's done right. And so what Seb has is this magic nine elements of today's English breakfast. If you do each one perfectly, there's no surpassing it. So we go different routes, and then we get to the end, which is all of us sitting here in this room now saying, we love breakfast. There's many roads to the summit. Mm, so, yes. yeah. yeah, that is, uh, I found quite a controversial element in your book, is the inclusion of these nine elements. And although it's on that plate, what I just said it's I like. a stranger to controversy. Um, no, indeed. Um, I, I objected to the inclusion of the tomato, for example. I don't think tomato should form any part of a breakfast. Oh, I'm surprised um, to hear yes. you say that. So, do, 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 I was very So, did you did you argue amongst some of the other contributors about how to measure the different elements? And yeah, but most of the debate was about baked beans or, or, yeah, or right. potato. Tomato was a shoe in, really. We didn't really, really? question yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it just seemed natural. But I mean, all you know, all you have to do to find the magic nine is to go to any cafe in the country and look at their kind of kapow shapes on the wall, 
Well, they're set one, they're set two, and so on. Let's enumerate the nine elements. Um, Eggs, go on. bacon, yeah. uh, potatoes, tomato, baked beans, yeah. sausage, <laughs> mushrooms, mm -hmm. also controversial in my view, uh, and two more. Black pudding. Toast, yeah. Toast and black pudding. Black or white pudding. Black or white pudding, mm -hmm. right. That no hash browns. Yeah, so, so the idea is that anything else is... Oh, they're under potatoes, I Yeah, suppose. within yeah, potato, potato stuff. Potato. Mm. Yeah, so anything else, the idea is anything else is a mere fry-up, but to have a full, a full breakfast, a full English, it has to be all nine. Uh, right. And, yeah, often people don't want that. They, don't, it's, it's, they find it quite disgusting, I suppose. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but I think, you know, there has to be a standard for a full English. It has to mean something, and, and the, the Magic Nine is a way of kind of codifying that somehow. Yes. And so you had a team... Uh, who over three years consumed over a thousand breakfasts? Um, where did you did, where did you find the ultimate it's not that many when you think about okay. it. <laughs> the ultimate English breakfast? Well, at home, I mean, we were we were at cooking home. them, yeah. yeah. So, so, so we were trying to perfect these to make each of those things to make black pudding from scratch. Not necessarily recommended unless you've got a strong stomach, really. But um, sort of sausages <laughs> and, and bread, and you know, to, trying to home make everything. Um, from the Magic Nine and seeing what happens when you kind of reach this divine standard. Yes. Um, eating out, I don't know, you know, I mean, we had a very good breakfast. Should I name restaurants? Um, yeah, you know, yeah. We, well, the Delaunay was very good, um, which is the sort of Heaven. sister to the Walsley. <laughs> uh, Carrie and I met and had a sort of pre-talk pre summit to decide where the lines would be drawn in our sort of breakfasting philosophy, and, um, and, and we went to the Delaunay and found it very, very good. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yes, do, uh, is that, as an anthropologist, something that you consider important, the idea of home and outside the home and how breakfast fits into that? Because that's quite important in the class structure that you mentioned as well. I think, at least for us, the interesting thing about breakfast is it transcends home or, um, you know, out. Mm -hmm. Because when you've had breakfast with somebody out, it's already a kind of a special intimacy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the most familiar of all the meals. You know, lunch, lunch is a bit stiff, and, and dinner can be even stiffer. Mm. But breakfast is just melting. I mean, it's wonderful. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I, I'd say it transcends it. Mm. Well, the classic quote is by Thomas Babington Macaulay. It's at the top of yeah. the blog, and it says, dinner parties are mere rituals, but you invite a man to breakfast because you really want to see him. Mm. Yeah. I think... You know, once you've let someone into that zone, then there's definitely mm. something happening. Yeah, isn't tomorrow dress down day where everyone's supposed to wear pajamas? And I thought, we timed this wrong. If we were all sitting here in pajamas talking about breakfast, <laughs> we should really have hit it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, as Claire mentioned earlier, there's also this no talking rule. How does that fit in? <laughs> Did oh, you, yes. Obviously, you allowed... Carrie to speak to you over yeah. the breakfast, or did you just well, no, no, <laughs> communicate? I've got to say, a bit like Hilary Mantel, I was um, quoted out of context. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, I was. <laughs> you know, you know I guess, I guess um, what I said actually was, was you shouldn't feel obliged to talk at breakfast. I think right. breakfast has all these unspoken rules that go with it um, that we all know but don't think about so much. Like, you can listen to the radio while you eat breakfast, and it's not rude. Mm -hmm. You can do a crossword, and it's fine. And these are the wonderful things that make the meal what it is. Mm -hmm. and, and you don't feel obliged to talk. It's fine if five of you are sat in silence eating your um, omelette and your bacon and eggs. Um, 
Whereas if you do that at lunch, you feel like you have to fill the airtime somehow. Mm -hmm. Actually, what I think is that if you're talking at breakfast, you've probably got something to say, and the conversation probably has a better quality than it would do otherwise. Mm. And Carrie, do you think that's an English thing of having this way of being at breakfast? Do you think that we're particularly antisocial at breakfast <laughs> <We> <laughs> compared to the Hawaiians, for example? What, what I noticed when I came here, apart from you know the, the, the horrible fry-up, was that you would sit there and people would be at the breakfast table all behind newspapers. You know, several people all with their newspapers up. With the disappearance of the newspaper, that's kind of stopped. And now you see people with, you know, their various. But yeah, you, you read more than Americans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yes, right. right. Um, yeah. Um, and also, American breakfasts, uh, they don't have the same traditions. They're much more rushed. Mm -hmm. So you don't have the time to really, you know, make a meal of it. Mm. But given the work that you've done into class, and obviously that's a particularly English thing, do you think that there are particular breakfast things that are associated with particular classes, either now or in the past? Well, there's the, the country house breakfast, which I write a lot about. But what we've got, what we've got here is the democratic breakfast. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the breakfast that everybody eats no matter what. And it was part of the whole uh, democratizing thing, you know, after World War II, mm -hmm. where, you know, we're all the same, this mm. sort of leveling. So when does the fry, the fry up or the idea of an English breakfast that looks like that date back to? The loss of servants. Right. The, the great tragedy. Yeah. Um, because you know, before then, you would be able to have a bespoke order. Well, um, before then, you had a lot more, let's say before World War I, there was a lot more leisure. Mm -hmm. um, people could have servants even if they were really not very wealthy at all. In fact, if they were just ordinary, mm -hmm. you could still have someone to come in and cook. Mm -hmm. And um, you could have all these elaborate things. See, the difference between um, what's in this book and what's on this plate is that these things um, the things are there are 500 recipes in here for the most elaborate things you can imagine, which were under the silver dishes. Um, when Seb was starting out um, on his uh, breakfast journey, he says that he came across these two or a number of um, great breakfast cookbooks, and they were in the Victorian period, suddenly out of nowhere, you get these little breakfast cookbooks devoted entirely to breakfast, but with the most elaborate dishes. You know, said that you probably yeah. looked and you thought, who is going to make these? But people did, but that's when they had time and servants and cooks, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? So that, that's the difference, really. Um, when you began to lose those things, that's when it got to be eggs and bacon, bacon and eggs. And even back in, you know, let's say 1890, people were complaining, gee, we, we ought to get back to those more elaborate things. But the change was already coming. Mm. I think breakfast is a meal that's always seen as declining somehow, and it has been forever. Every book I've read about it for the last, I mean, you know, 150 so, years old books, they always complain yeah. about the declining breakfast, how we've got no more time for breakfast. And there's a phrase that keeps on coming up. I think it was, was it Witham, um, who, who he, he, he moaned about uh, the ding-dong monotony of bacon and eggs yeah. alternating with eggs and bacon. bacon. Yep. And we kind of, I think, and, and time and time again, every cookbook tries to say, stop having this 
boring combination and go back and do something more elaborate. But actually, I think we really like bacon and eggs. I think it's a very good combination of food. And as time's gone on, um, we've decided that we want less choice on the breakfast plate somehow. We don't have things like lamb's brains. Um, we have less and less things like kidneys and jacket potatoes and that kind of stuff. So somehow, as a whole, we've been limiting our options rather than expanding them. Mm. But yet, um, you know, a lot of the things that we think of for breakfast or for, let's say, brunch now, are very, very elaborate, very lunch-type dishes. So they're right for now, and you can also eat them in the evening, not just in the morning. Mm. I think that's the thing that you see in, in books like this. Anyway, you know, I was talking about those old cookbooks that, that Seb and I have mentioned, and I thought, okay, why don't I just, because um, these are really quite short, these cookbooks, get these cookbooks and just reproduce them mm -hmm. in a book so everybody can see them. And I think when you look at them, you'll be shocked to see what they actually ate for breakfast. Like Seb just said, what was it, brains? Yeah. But yeah, you know, pheasant pie, lobster thermidor, um, cod's tongues, Mornay. I mean, unbelievable. And heaps of fish. In fact, much more fish than anything else. Um, I found you know, the breakfast menu from the Titanic that had um, like herrings, that kind of thing in it. Um, yeah. Jacket potatoes, which I thought was very strange. Yeah. Mm. But do you think that breakfast is now becoming a meal that you could eat anything at that meal in the way that it was perhaps in those days? Or do you think it's becoming more standardised and, and simple? Oh. I think there are definitely breakfast foods. You mm -hmm. know, but it's, it's, it's easy to spot and hard to define. That's what we say in the book. I think mm. it... You, you know when you've missed the breakfast menu. If there's sort of prawn risotto, you know that's not a breakfast food somehow. Mm -hmm. You know that you know, mm. it's, it's not right to eat that for breakfast. But a lot of people have pizza or yesterday's um, curry or something. Cold curry. Yeah, exactly. it's the same curry. Curry. Pizza, I would argue yeah. you're just having a morning dinner. It's not really breakfast yeah. at all. Mm. But there's a part in the book where you talk about the moment when the blog really took off and you started getting these emails from all over the world of people being very passionate and arguing for their favourite breakfast. And there is obviously something very emotive and we, about breakfast, and we all feel very affectionate and passionate about breakfast, perhaps more than any other meal of the day. Why, why do you think that is? Think is it because it's the first meal? It's the first meal. It's also the ritual of it. It feels so familiar because we tend to have the same thing day in, day out. You know, we, we live in this sort of mantra of breakfast. It's mm. a daily mantra, uh, and we tend to have our porridge with 18 blueberries and you know, a pinch of salt and a, a teaspoonful of sugar in it. it you know, we, we like to repeat it. So, so when that's broken somehow, when that is disrupted, then we get kind of angry. We, uh, we don't, you know, it feels like something we want to, um, to, to, to get right and refine. Um, but the, weirdly, I, I don't know, there's a sort of thing that talking about breakfast is kind of boring as well. And I think people are have at least, when they've met me, been quite relieved to be able to talk to someone about their breakfast. <laughs> it's, um, you know, when the, when the internet first came out, there was this idea that it would just consist of people talking about what they had for breakfast, as if that was a boring thing. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's been the biggest criticism of Twitter, isn't it? It's yeah. always people talking about their breakfast, but it is Sorry. something that people mm. love to talk about. Yeah, so people get quite confessional about it. It's like, yeah. finally I can share my poached egg method or how I have my porridge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, how has the psychology of how we relate to breakfast changed over the years? 
I don't know if it's changed so much as you can tell the kind of people, you know, what kind of people are which by what they eat for breakfast. And then there's what I conceive as the enemy of breakfast, which is the cereal eaters. You know, um, the people who just open a box, and that's all they consider breakfast to be. And um, when this... Um, there's a few people looking at Yes, there yeah. are, there are. When um, Clarissa Dixon Wright did this, this program on breakfast not long ago, so I was asked to be on it, and I thought, oh, wonderful, I can go on about breakfast. But no, I was asked to talk about cereals, which to me is like anathema. So I thought, oh, God, what am I going to do? In fact, they had wonderful beginnings, as, as Seb knows, and as he talks about in his book, with uh, Kellogg, you know, the man who was going to save, save the health of the nation. And he invented some wonderful things, like um, digestive biscuits. Um, and, you know, other things which he didn't patent. But somehow the cereal has kind of become a monster that, that's taken over breakfast and um, ought to be put back in its place, I think. Mm. Yeah, um, the idea that breakfast should be healthy is also something that weighs quite heavily on us, uh, and either we accept or we reject. Where, where do you stand on that? I'm a fan of inner well-being, um, and I think the occasional fried breakfast is good for inner well-being. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a nutritionist, and I, I decided quite early on with the book that I wasn't going to try and necessarily tackle those issues, um, because there are people much better qualified to do that. Mm -hmm. um, Malcolm yeah. X is surely, no, no one is more well-qualified yeah. than well, me. <laughs> um, all, all things in moderation, I think, is a good, is a good, is a good mantra. So probably if you're eating um, a massive sort of fried breakfast every day, and you're not someone who's burning it off, then it's probably not, not great for you. But, you know, new studies that came out last week about bacon and processed meats um, being bad for you. But it seems as if every six months um, uh, the wheel turns and, and suddenly bacon will be good for you again, you know, come, come the next study or something. Uh, we were wondering if it was like the powerful uh, tofu lobby trying to... But there's also the idea that um, breakfast should, as you say, it's about inner well-being and it should make you feel happy in some measure. And there's also, also you mentioned in the book about Freud's breakfast mm. dream. So it has some kind of relationship with psychoanalysis. And it also, if you think about Freud and when you wake up, that's when you most remember your dreams and then you come to your breakfast. H how did the breakfast dream fit into that? And the Breakfast Dream's a funny one. It's just such a marvellous passage. I mean, it's, it's amazing to read Freud talking about his own dreams anyway, because obviously if, if you think about dreams and analyse them, he's the one you think about. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, the dream itself, he's, he's, he's witnessed some kind of horrible battle or something, and he's standing on these cliffs looking out uh, with his brother, and they see the ship on the horizon, and they cry out together, it's the breakfast <laughs> ship, it's the breakfast <laughs> ship. <laughs> and... So, we, yeah, we, we, we looked into that and we thought about it and we thought it shows definitively that Freud thought there's one thing driving us all deep down and that's breakfast. <laughs> um, uh, and I guess that's... I mean, I found this amazing essay by Walter Benjamin recently as well. He talked about dreams and breakfast. Um, and he's... It's like, I don't know, really short 300 words or something. And it basically warns you you should never talk about your dreams before you've eaten breakfast. I think it's a really interesting idea. It's got this idea that the dream world will come and get you in some way. It will take its revenge on you. Wow. That's extraordinary. Mm. That's frightening. Um, do you find that there's... That, oh, that's obviously quite a new idea, this mm. idea that there's some sort of psychological relationship with 
breakfast. Is that a modern thing or has that been around for a while? Psychological, like that sort of thing, I would say is modern, but there's mm. always been the idea, well, not always, for as long as we've eaten breakfast as a recognized meal, mm. the idea if you start the day right, as Lee Hunt says, everything else will go well. And if it goes wrong at breakfast, you might as well go back to bed. Mm. You know, that, there's just that feeling of if that goes wrong, it's just not going to mm. be a good day. Mm. And, um, how long have we recognized breakfast as a... Not as a long. Right. That was it. So when I wanted to find out, you know, about um, ancient uh, British breakfast, I thought, you know, what did Alfred the Great have? Um, what did, you know, Edward III? And uh, I couldn't find anything because they didn't eat breakfast. They didn't. This was a horrible shock, you know? Um, it only... Um, people... It wasn't until Edward, Edward IV, the first person to mention uh, breakfast formally in court, and this is, you know, already in the 15th century. Before then, what you did is you got up in the morning and you just had a little something, maybe a little crust or a, a little drink, but you didn't properly eat because you weren't supposed to eat before you'd been to mass. That was the first thing. If you were um, a laborer, you had to get out quick and see to the animals or the first things, then you'd eat later. And if you were a member of the elite, um, if it took two hours to fire the kitchens up, there wasn't going to be anything hot. Mm -hmm. So you just waited, and everything started later. But it wasn't thought to be breakfast properly until you get to the Victorian era, mm -hmm. which is when breakfast as a special meal really gets elevated. You know, and this is what we're going to do. This is an English meal. We all have to start the day earlier. We're going to have a proper breakfast. We're going to eat foods that we ate later, but early. And this is when those strange breakfast cookbooks that Seb came across and that I came across come out because why would you need a breakfast cookbook if you've always been cooking breakfast but you haven't? So they, they came out for a very short period to teach people what they should have at this new meal called breakfast. So, you know, the ancient English breakfast is about, at the most, 150 years old. It's an invented tradition. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. What I found really yeah. interesting about, about, about that as well was how Britishness became a, um, yeah. a part of breakfast and, and, and the way that uh, in your book you identified it as almost the last remaining slot. So mm. we emulated the French at lunch and dinner. You yeah. know, that was who we wanted to be like. And the French don't really eat breakfast. No. So the last slot for our food, for our full English breakfast, yeah. was, 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 uh, was this. Yeah, the morning. Yeah, and then this is in the period where the empire is expanding. So there's the idea, you know, you build the empire on a good breakfast. I mean, it goes with that whole mindset. Mm. So it kind of emerged and, and mm. became a very, very valued meal. Mm. You know, you'd also sit there and think what you were going to do. It was seen as a kind of a, a time for planning and, you know, mm. getting on with mm. plan to take over the world. Mm. Yes, you mentioned the idea of powerful historical figures and what did they eat for breakfast. And there's a lovely passage um, where you discuss uh, Napoleon and he mm. used to have some sort of orange... Orange water. Or an orange water. And, and chicken. And chicken, yeah. yeah. And chicken for breakfast seemed weird now. <laughs> but obviously it worked yeah. for him. I get, well, for, for a time. And <laughs> <laughs> um, Were there any other examples of celebrities or historical figures where you found them weird or inspiring? Um, I'm trying to think of weird ones. Um, or inspiring. Oh, Bruce, Bruce Lee had muesli 
boring enough, boringly enough. Um, Serious and bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, bad. <laughs> like a lot of them are quite sort of plain, really. Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln. had a boiled egg and a cup of coffee, um, which is one cup of coffee less than James Bond. He had a boiled egg and two cups of coffee. <laughs> I don't know what you can draw from that, but there it is. Um, um, I mean, I've been doing a lot of looking into the sort of fictional and literary breakfast as well Oh, yeah, recently. I was just going to ask about that. Yeah, yeah which is that's quite interesting quite as well. And what they say about a character, you know, again, because, because you're getting this insight into something that someone does every day, it's a very good way of painting a picture of somebody very quickly. Mm. Yeah. Um, so in Lady Dick, you've got this scene uh, with Queequeg um, sort of turning his nose up at, um, at, at rolls and coffee, you know, sort of a savage way, and uh, just eating the, the beef steaks. Um, and then there's, um, there's James Bond. There is... Um, American Psycho, um, the main character from that, he kind of has this incredibly long, um, meticulously drawn out selection of 80s yuppie foods, bran muffins, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, which, there's something creepy about it, the kind of, obviously, that book's written in a certain way, and his, his, his very detailed descriptions of what he eats are, are part of the way that we know that he's a bit, uh, whether or not he's a serial killer is obviously open to question by the end of it. Mm. And a lot of those are men, you notice? Because it's, breakfast is something that used to be mainly eaten by men, and women just sort of nibbled or had something in their room. And it, it's still, you know, a really male meal breakfast, um, I still find. You think so? Yeah. Do you think they're a particular, do you mean in a, the context of a Brit and English breakfast? Yeah that that's a male meal. does seem to be more. I mean, it's right. men you see tucking into it. But in, in the Victorian period, it, breakfast was a male meal. Women didn't often attend it. Mm. They just stayed upstairs. Right. So, yeah, it is. And, and those examples, you see, yeah. are... So breakfast is connected to status to some degree. Well, possibly. certainly to gender, possibly what you eat to status. Yeah. Um, but it's also a danger of, as you were saying, sort of fetishizing breakfast. And in what do you mean? Well, exactly, in a way, that's, that's <laughs> what the book does. So I was wondering, you know, do, do your friends now feel very paranoid when they make breakfast choices in front no, of you? I mean, or <laughs> expect <laughs> the greatest ever breakfast when they come around to your house? I think there's something quite tongue-in-cheek in the book. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it takes it very seriously, but, you know, in, in, in part, the book's a bit of a double agent, and the website is as well. We, we, we're taking food very seriously, and we're kind of, um, I suppose, satirising those who do take it very seriously as well. And there's a, there's a funny thing that happens when you take breakfast incredibly seriously. It becomes quite funny. Um, yeah. and, and I guess that's something we're exploring as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. People... I haven't been made breakfast by people for a while, so maybe that's... <laughs> yeah, maybe they're afraid of you. <laughs> yes, what you might say. But yeah. then this, you see this, he, he then sort of anthropologically goes out and he investigates other cultures' breakfasts, mm. which, you know, brings a whole new slant to it. Mm. I mean... Yes, it does travel around the world, the mm. book. Um, yeah. Were there any particular breakfasts around the world that you really loved or that you thought were really weird? And you yeah, there were quite a few weird ones. Well, I mean, we were talking actually before about um, a Hawaiian dish um, called oh. Loco Moco. Yeah. I knew we were going to get onto this. Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, yes. it's, I was in Hawaii a couple of years ago, and that's the local kind of speciality. And it, I mean, it really says a lot about Hawaii, what it is culturally, what its history has been, just in one plate of food. You've got white mm. rice, um, which is obviously from, from the east, from, from, from the Pacific. Um, and then you've got um, a burger patty, which 
is the American influence coming in, and then um, a fried egg and onion gravy on top of that, which is the old British colonial influence, I suppose. Wow. And uh, the plate is huge, and it isn't just put on it, it's mounded up. So, and then when you, when you eat it, you sort of eat it by bending over it and eating it like this. Right. And I think it's absolute heaven. And to Seb, it was like, oh no. Yeah. He, in the name of research, he had done this. And then he thought, oh God, what am I going to do now? I felt really bad. The man in the restaurant was so happy when I ordered this thing. Yes. And so sort of proud to deliver the plate to me. I, I may have had a bad one, I don't know. But where did you have it? Um, it? It was in in the hotel restaurant where I was staying. Basically, we had this right. kind of amazing diner on the poolside. Right. I found out that locomoco translated into English means crazy snot. Crazy <laughs> snot. Yeah. Like okay, like crazy mucus. Right. Mm. Oh wow. And would that be something that you would have as a child, or is it? Oh, it's very local. It's it's okay. um, it's if you grow up in Hawaii, that's one of the dishes that. I love yeah. the way you say Hawaii. Yeah, that, that Hawaii. that's like a local okay. dish, you know. And and um, okay. another one is like mountains of let's say fried rice with fried Portuguese sausage and kimchi and then a fried egg, no gravy. Oh, I can see your face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, sounds, that sounds good. But, you know, I mean, um, this, is, this is how breakfast translates around the world. Yeah. But, I mean, there are lots of lovely breakfasts in this. You know, yes. Yeah. I mean, shak I think, is one of my favorites. It's um, Middle Eastern Israeli dish, um, which is mm -hmm. sort of um, spicy tomato sauce with fried eggs, with eggs rather braised in the, in the, in the sauce and various toppings, if you, if you want them. I mean, a lot of them are quite loose, you know, like. Um, fool, which is uh, another Middle Eastern thing, um, mashed up um, beans. beans. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's great. Um, yeah, it's but so a lot of countries don't have breakfast. I suppose like 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 we didn't until 150 years ago. Mm. Um, I guess um, that's something that maybe will happen, maybe not. We, mm. we, we're, we're not. It's not a universal meal. I think that's a really interesting part of it. Mm. The further south in Europe you go, the less you seem to be able to find breakfast. I mean, Italy is a very hard place to find a good breakfast somehow, mm. beyond a sort of strong cigarette. And a, yeah, you and said a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was great. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, there's a section in the book where you talk oh, about a lot of these different dishes, and I was wondering if, to some extent, breakfast is almost like language in that you need to acquire the habit for it as a child. Otherwise, you can't later in life. Is there a certain breakfast that you mention in there? And as a sort of British adult, you just can't imagine having fool or for your breakfast. It's just too weird. Okay, I've gained the fool habit actually You've occasionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, maybe it depends on your horoscope. We've got. Um, oh yeah, got a, a horoscope a section of brextrology at the back yeah. of the book. Mine's <laughs> I'm, I'm Cancer, and mine's Patisserie. Yeah, and that was very yeah, accurate. Yeah. Very accurate. In my yeah. mind, Sagittarius, it says I will travel through breakfast. I will seek out the meaning of breakfast. Okay. And I guess I, I didn't write them either. Someone else wrote these. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's amazing. Yeah. What's yours? Do you know what's yours? Let's look at yours. What's your horoscope? Leo. Leo. What does it say? Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Leo. Find it in the back. Um, ruled by the sun, your heart is your center, making you bold in love but easily wounded and sensitive to breakfasting slights. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Wonderful. You feel best acknowledged when presented with an omelette Arnold Bennett. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> if this isn't practical, you may be sated by truffle oil folded into rich, buttery, scrambled eggs. 
How did they know? And placed oh them <laughs> a slice of freshly baked sourdough. Then you will shine with light and warmth and creative joy. Yes, 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 I will. Oh so accurate. And no oh, cereal. Yes. Brilliant. Wow. Okay, well, everybody must, yeah, whatever you do, you must come and yes. look, look up your horoscope. Yeah, right. That was, that was, that was by um, an astrologer that I, that I know, who's also our vegan correspondent on the London Review of Breakfast. <laughs> and she's called LaSoya Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, I just want to ask you both one more question, and then we'll open to the floor, and then we'll go on for about 20 minutes, and then we have a book signing afterwards. Um, I noticed in the book you mentioned that uh, McDonald's apparently now make 50% of their profits from breakfast. Oh. So are we giving a thumbs up or a thumbs down to the Egg McMuffin? Is that an acceptable... I would never give a thumbs up in public to the Egg McMuffin. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 a lot of people love them as a kind... I mean, as we say, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's evidence that um, the combination of bacon and eggs is, is resistant to any horrors in the exploiting and the serving, that there's still something that makes sense about those flavours, yeah. um, even, even in a McDonald's form. Uh, and it's supposedly um, based on an Eggs Benedict, yeah. which is extraordinary. Yeah. Herb Peterson, the guy who invented them, um, saw this new breakfast food and thought, we can have that, we can make it into something immediate and instant. Uh, and, and the slice of cheese is basically their shorthand for hollandaise sauce. Right, interesting. Mm -hmm. What do you think of that, Karen? Yes to the Egg McMuffin? Or sacrilege? Well, the original, I mean, if you make it yourself, it's fabulous. You know, mm -hmm. you, get, you get the muffin and, and get a really nice sausage. Actually, when, when, when Seb's book was launched here, it was the most fabulous launch. And they did homemade McMuffins, um, a, um, a McMuffin McMuffin, and a Florentine one for the vegetarians. And there were cocktails from recipes in the back of the book, yeah? And one of them was a cocktail that was served um, in a little cup and with a saucer and a square of toast on the side. And the second was a cocktail with, you know, a wine glass, like, like a wine glass with a glass stem, but at the top, instead of glass, there was actually a teacup. Mm. And there was, you know, so if you're gonna have muffins like that and with cocktails like that, then <laughs> yes! <laughs> Very good. Are there any questions? Uh, eggs, bread, pork products. Is a Scotch egg a breakfast <laughs> item? Because that's basically a full English collapsed under its own gravitational weight into a sphere. <laughs> uh, but then is that a breakfast item? It's the same products. I don't know. I'm confused. I need answers. Is a Scotch egg a breakfast product? I've thought about this question quite a few times, actually, <laughs> tried to work out an answer. But... I don't think it is a breakfast product, and I can't tell you why. It's just not, is it? It's as simple as that. It just intrinsically doesn't feel like a breakfast food. I'm not sure why, really. Um, yeah, maybe. it's a good one. It's got all the ingredients, so then why isn't it breakfast? Ooh, it's a curveball. Did, yeah. you, yeah. did you want the answer to be yes, so you can eat I just, yeah. for breakfast? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that the same ingredients, but the form, you just... Into a sphere, I think and somehow it changes. I, th I think I think it's breadcrumbs. Like pudding scotch eggs. Uh -huh. I mean, that's scotch eggs wrapped in. I think it, it, it's breadcrumbs. I think. Yeah. Um, because breadcrumbs, while still breadstuffs, aren't breakfast food. <laughs> they've been they've been they've been transformed beyond recognition and, 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 and <laughs> drifted beyond the breakfast category <laughs> into something else. 
Um, I don't know if you know about Marmite, do you? What do you think? Any comments on Marmite? I feel like I have to ask this question. I've, I've, I've noticed, Kirsten, um, a, a, a conversation on your, on your blog about uh, Marmite. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a kind of, um, there's an essay in the book actually about breakfast in class. Um, it was written by uh, Blake Pudding and um, he, he, he likes to write about these kinds of things. Um, and he, he, he defined um, Marmite as potentially a working class continent. Um, my own view is that it possibly transcends class like, uh, like, like, like most breakfast foods do. Um, uh, um, you find it in every cupboard in the land, pretty much. Um, I like it. I, I like Vegemite as well, controversially. Although um, Marmite told me that um, students can't afford Marmite. People gr they have it when they're a child, and then they stop eating it for a while because it's actually quite expensive. And then when they have their own children, they start buying it again. Hmm. Can we have a show of hands in the room? Who likes Marmite? Gosh. Oh. Who, hate, who hates Marmite? Hands up. <laughs> you are in the minority. <laughs> That's good. Wow. I should explain that um, Kirsten, your blog is Miss Marmite Lover, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. good question. Any more questions? Yeah, one at the front here. Amazing hair. Thank you. Um, as an Irish person here and with St. Patrick's Day on Sunday, I wanted to ask you if you have any comments on the Irish traditional Irish breakfast. Um, is it something you've explored? Have you had any Irish breakfast experiences or have you explored the, it's the white pudding, distinctiveness between yeah, the two, Irish, the relationship Irish between breakfast. the two? Um, there's a place not far from where I live in Clerkenwell called J&A Cafe and I recommend it very strongly. They do really good Irish tinged breakfast um, with Clonakilty black pudding. Um, I'm going to write this down. Near Cork, I think which is one of the three mm -hmm. great black puddings. It's great, it's really okay. delicious food. And box tea as well, um, it's a sort of potato um, pancakes. Um, you know, I, I think these are, they're interesting, these kind of um, Irish and British variations on, on a full breakfast. And Welsh. And, well, and Welsh and, and Cornish. Scottish. Cornish, yeah. yeah. I mean, the Welsh one's got lava bread and, um, and, and yeah. cockles, and, and, and the Cornish version has a thing called hog's pudding. They're all kind of similar, though, really. I mean, they're all kind yeah. of the and local it, ingredients, though. That's it. And you don't, you don't get, you know, the Cornish lunch or the Welsh dinner. It's interesting <laughs> that breakfast is the national meal, mm. isn't it? That's the one I you start the, French the day with. I guess the French own all the other meals still. What? Maybe the French still have that sort of stranglehold yeah, on Yeah, they still own yeah. lunch and dinner. Well, maybe because it's the most important mm. and best meal of the day. Mm. So you put all the messages in it. Um, uh, do you live in London? Yes. As an Irish person living in London, do you find that our breakfast is not as good as your home breakfast? Because presumably you're talking about fry-up, right? Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd be hesitant to buy an, a, a proper English breakfast here, really. And I have found Clancoty Irish pudding, and I do have a stash of Barry's tea. <laughs> um, so it's definitely something... I think particularly you, Terry, were talking mm. about, or well, both of you were talking about memory and, and mm. sort of childhood things. And here I live in student accommodation, and at, back home my mom used to make porridge for me, and my dad would make, would squeeze oranges, um, oh. like up until recently, and I'm in my 20s, so I shouldn't be allowed these kind of things. But I, I really miss eating breakfast with my mom and dad at home, and it, it's something oh. that I've thought about, and that, like you said, 
earlier, I don't really have an outlet to, to tell people about how I miss <laughs> yes. eating breakfast with my mum and dad at home. Or, you know, Is there anyone else who wants, to, who wants to share? <laughs> Great, thank mm. you. Any other questions? Yeah, oh, then we'll come in now, thick and fast. Um, so I was just wondering what your ideal breakfast would be. We talk about this all the time, <laughs> like on the phone. What do you What would you have for breakfast today? What would you have if you could have, like, maybe your last breakfast ever, <laughs> or if you oh. were in jail or whatever was happening? I'd have an all-you-can-eat breakfast buffet and never finish it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. Oh. Um, Kedri, ah. that would be mm. a very, very nice Kedri with curry sauce and mango chutney and poppadoms, and a lot of it. So again, <laughs> just go on and on. Yes. What would you have? Oh God, um, pancakes from my favorite pancake place in New York. Um, Which is where? Uh, it's the Clinton Street Baking Company. Mm -hmm. um, Gravy that my mom made, biscuits that my mom made. Oh, gravy and biscuits, yes. And um, <laughs> and a ton of bacon, probably. Mm. And avocado toast. Oh, <laughs> avocado. What even is that? It's mushed. It's you mush avocado. You make toast, mush avocado on right. top. And I guess yeah. everyone here has it with like chili, red pepper, dried red peppers, and um, like olive oil and lemon juice. That's mm. not good. You can put an egg on it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, I just wanted to ask. Um, I've been reading, I guess, on a blog or whatever about uh, your enthusiasm for uh, Seb's enthusiasm. I suppose you just share it on the phone. Yeah. Um, about call up breakfast. And considering we're in the sort of Lenten period and Easter's before us, I just wondered if you could just kind of say a few words about that and how it relates to you and your call up for, you know, the quoting with breakfast and the heritage of that and, you know, where that fit in. Did you mean call up Monday? Oh, Monday, yeah. yeah Sorry, yeah. call up Monday, do you think, yeah. which is a sort of tradition but long forgotten and you're sort yeah. of, it's sort of weird. saying, why can't we have that back? And yeah, we yeah. should explain call up well, Monday. Call up, call up Monday, call up, call up is the old word for rasha of bacon. Um, and traditionally, the day before Shrove Tuesday, before Pancake Day, was the day when you uh, finished off your bacon and eggs in preparation for Lent, and you'd then fry your pancakes, possibly in the, um, in, in, in the fat from the bacon. So it's a bacon and eggs day, basically, or, or fry-up day, you might call it as well. And it seems really baffling that we've remembered Pancake Day somehow, but forgotten about Collop Monday, um, which I don't understand. My, my theory for that is that um, uh, we were afraid that if we had a bacon and eggs day, we would only be able to eat it on that day and never, never <laughs> um, at any other time of the year. Yeah, this lady in the middle here. Uh, yes, thanks. My question's about the um, sort of periphery accompaniments, as it were, to the full breakfast, such as the tea stroke, coffee and toast. Um, because I was just thinking, it's breakfast seems to be the only meal where it's legitimate to be particular about the way that you would want it. So, for example, if we were all having breakfast here, we could all have different ideas of how we like our tea and how we like our eggs, and it would all be quite different, and that's a legitimate difference, so one of us wouldn't be right and wrong, whereas a different meal, you know, if you were cooking a classic Italian pasta or something that's not a nice, oh, I want less, you know, that wouldn't be so legitimate, I suppose. But when mm. it comes to things like tea and toast and coffee, 
I wanted to ask about the tools specifically because, uh, and again, it's really strange to be talking about this in such detail. It seems completely mad. Um, but um, I was thinking about the, the full English breakfast especially and how I would assume it's about quality of ingredients. So if you've got good quality bacon and good quality sausage and very fresh eggs, and that's a good breakfast. But the toast, I was thinking, do you, would you need a kind of artisan loaf to go with that or would you or a very cheap white thin sliced because that's quite nostalgic isn't it so i really like good bread but with a full english breakfast i would like cheap nasty white toast with margarine yeah <laughs> but not normally not normally i really I like you. good proper bread but for that. <laughs> so i just wanted about these things and how important they are or whether or not it's each of their own, as it were. Very good question. Well, as a, as a fan of fried bread, which is getting harder and harder and harder to find, uh, but yeah, you're right. Um, there, there's it's something about the toast that you can take really personally. I mean, um, I, I have the same feeling as you about a particular sort of brown toast. It isn't brown at all. It's just slightly less white, but it's what I had when I was little. And somehow that, you know, that's the breakfast. It wasn't until I came here that I discovered fried bread, particularly deep fried bread. Wonderful. Oh, gorgeous. What? Yeah, I was, oh, just, I was just thinking, so do you think that um, we were discussing earlier why is it that we love breakfast so much? And I wonder if it is because it's the meal that we can most personalize. And that's be. completely socially acceptable. Yeah. It's not snobby. It's not, you're yeah. not being fussy. It's just how you have your breakfast. Yeah, it's, it's, exactly. It's, it's, ref, it's like a refinements on a simple theme. Um, mm. And it's like mobile phone covers or something. We, we, they're kind of all the same, but they're all different in some mm. way. Just tiny little changes make all the difference and make us feel like we have ownership of that meal. Um, yeah, with, 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 with toast, I, I, I think the only toasts that I strongly disagree with are sort of uh, ciabattas and focaccias, stuff like that. Kind of, <laughs> you know, oh. Pretentious sort of airport toasts. <laughs> but a French toast, is that acceptable? Yeah, I like French toast. I love French or eggy toast. bread. French yeah. toast. Eggy bread. Yeah, eggy bread. Yeah. 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 Okay. Is there another question? Hi. I, I've got a question about Sunday breakfast, so not brunch, but, but breakfast. And I recall as a child that my father used to always do the, 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 the meal preparation on Sunday, and it typically would have, for breakfast, and it would have been pancakes. And I wonder if you ever, in your research, come across that sort of interesting um, shift in the preparation on a Sunday when the man is actually doing the, the, the breakfast meal? And is, is that just specific to, to me growing up on the east coast of the US? Or is that something that you see when you've been doing um, probably your research in Western Europe? I'm not sure. the, the only the thing that I've come across is um, it's mainly Welsh. When you have the Welsh breakfast, that's something that the men would cook. You know, that's the, the cockles and the lava bread and the fried, you know, fried bread. Men would cook that more than the women. I think the idea is the women would be at chapel or something, but that was a, a manly thing. This is what a man could do. It's like the meal equivalent of barbecue. You know, it's okay for the guy to do it. Um, yeah, this is something that I have seen. Yeah. What about? I haven't come across any sort of Sunday tradition, really. No, uh, I, haven't, I don't know. I, I haven't given it a thought. I'm trying it's to think of a. I'm actually interested in the fact that Sunday breakfast is 
Yeah, and it would be early Sunday mornings, right. yeah. And because the mom would be making lunch maybe later right. or perhaps dinner, because in America, it wasn't so much lunch, it was, it was more later. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. Mm. this is the, the, the one, dad, dad's contribution to the family meal. Mm -hmm. mm. There's definitely yeah. a sense of sort of male bonding around a fried breakfast or a fry up, I think. Mm -hmm. and mm. There's the hungover breakfast at a cafe or something <laughs> where the, sh the stories are shared about the night before. Um, and you know, there's a very touching scene in that film, um, Control, about Joy Division from years ago, uh, where they're sharing a breakfast and it somehow says a lot about their kind of personalities. Um, so I think there's also that program House of Cards, the uh, Netflix mm -hmm. show. Um, there's a very good scene in that towards the end where Kevin Spacey, this sort of ruthless, um, power broker, congressman from, um, from from sort of the White House. He's 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 staying with um, with with this um, incredibly powerful businessman friend of the president's, and there's a kind of very complex wrangling going on between them. And he wakes up at like four in the morning. It's still dark, and this businessman is making breakfast at that time. And it's seen almost like a power play. You know, he's he's having breakfast before it's even light. And, and Kevin Spacey gets up and goes downstairs and. Um, and insists that he shares his breakfast with him. But I'm not sure if that's relevant to <laughs> <laughs> No, but it was a good story. It was a great story. Were your dad's pancakes good? Did you love your dad's pancakes? What kind of pancakes were they? He made them in the shape of turtles. Oh, wow. Sweet. Go. I like the sound of those. Great. Um, we had two more questions, and then we'll uh, give you a chance to meet Carrie and Seb afterwards. Um, I was just wondering where you both stand on brunch, um, whether you see it as kind of some sort of affront to breakfast or a companion to it. And w if you were invited out to brunch, would you eat breakfast beforehand? <laughs> oh, what a great question. Yes, is brunch evil? And is it the first or second meal of the day? Well, as Carrie says in her book, um, brunch was actually a British invention. And we often think of it as a kind of uh, American invasion. Um, but a man called Guy Berenger wrote an article in the 19th century um, sort of setting out his vision for this thing called brunch, which would be a chance to socialise um, and, and eat, some, eat some sort of breakfast foods. Uh, and then we just, it didn't catch on here, but it caught on later in, in the States. Um, our, our, our position on brunch, um, as laid out in the book, is, is that we just see it as um, a way of extending breakfast until later in the day. We don't see it as a separate meal at all. Um, it's the way it, we, we, we think the bruh is important and not the unch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Com complete agreement on that. Yeah. Absolutely. So you would or wouldn't eat breakfast before going out for brunch? I probably wouldn't have time to. I think if I, if I knew I had a brunch, it would be one of those lovely things where you lie in, maybe you look at the papers, then you get up and you go out. That, that's the nice thing about a brunch, you know, you can have the, the lion as well. <laughs> so I, 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 I would do it that way. Yeah. yeah. But it also ties in with second breakfast. Um, <laughs> the, the, the meal okay. of the hobbits. Hobbit. Um, yeah. 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 Um, I, think, I think there are parts of Europe where you have this second breakfast. Um, uh, and I mean, I, I, I think there's something in it. I think there's definitely <laughs> something to be explored there. 
Um, well, it's the Levenses, isn't it? That, that's what we used to call it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what you used to call it. <laughs> right. Thank you. One more question there, and then we'll say one over there as well. You've spoken a lot about toast, and you've also spoken about marmite. But what about marmalade? That's a very important thing as far as breakfast is concerned yes. for, for the British, I think. And I'd be interested in, as an anthropologist, what do you feel about the sort of snobbery regarding marmalade in this country? Oh, it's you know? really, it's really interesting. I, I, you know, we don't have marmalade. Well, I'm sure we have it in America. We don't really have it. When you think of jam in America, it's like strawberry jam or blueberry jam. But not in marmalade. Marmalade is, it's bitter, and bitter isn't something Americans do in, at <laughs> breakfast. So I got here, and then it turned out, yeah, there was this whole range of snobbery that to me was weird. But as far as I could work out, um, the, 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 the snob kind to have was Oxford marmalade thick cut. And preferably if you could get it in the pottery jars, they still did it in. That was wonderful. And the thing that was for wimps was the kind of really, really cheap, I think it was called silver shred, teeny, teeny little shreds in this completely clear um, jelly, no bitterness at all. And that, that was, that was, mm -mm. And then in between, you know, there were various sorts. And then if you went to Fortnum and Mason, there were some really interesting ones like a grapefruit marmalade or lime marmalade. And they, they seem to be up there um, at the top of the tree, but sideways. So, so that was the anthropological take on it. But I don't really eat it myself. Um, you know, I'm an apricot jam fanatic. So um, <laughs> I never really got any further. Oh, yeah. And then there was the kind with whiskey in, which always struck me as strange. Mm. Yeah. Seb, do you eat marmalade? I do eat marmalade. Uh, I love marmalade. And I <laughs> 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 Absolutely. <laughs> Correct answer. <laughs> marmalade sales dropped, I think, last year. And it was a, there was a huge amount of coverage of this. Um, they still sell millions and millions of jars, but the question was, uh, are our spreads dumbing down in some way? You know, people are going for jams and plainly sweet uh, spreads but, and, and, and leaving the kind of mature and complex marmalade flavours behind somehow. Um, I mean, there's, marmalade almost had a claim to be part of the Magic Nine equation, actually, at one point. Yeah. Did it? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Uh, ah. Might. I, I always feel that after a full English breakfast, you finish it off with a piece of tasty marmalade. Oh. Maybe that's the next book. Well, George Orwell would agree with you. He, he, he wrote um, about, in 46, how, 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 how the tradition was to have three courses of breakfast, um, and, and one of those involved marmalade. Yeah. Was, the, was there one more question that we missed at the back, or do you want to? No. I've got one more. You okay? Okay, we'll take one last question from you. What is your what is your perfect setting for eating breakfast? Lovely question to finish on. In bed. <laughs> Good answer. I've got to disagree with that. I, 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 I don't like breakfast in bed at all. I think it's, uh, yeah, you feel, feel quite, I always wish I was at the table when I'm eating breakfast in bed. Um, oh, it's perfect setting. I suppose near the sea, with the sea in sight. Ah. In some way. Mm. Very good. 
Well, thank you very much, and thank you to all of you for being such a lovely audience. Thank you. Um, thank you for coming to this meeting of Breakfast Eaters Anonymous. Um, <laughs> you'll now have a chance to have your book signed and to meet the authors, so let's give a big round of applause and say thank you to Dr. Carrie O'Connor and Sabalina.